It's the New England Take on WKXL. I'm your host, AJ Kirsted, nhtalkradio.com to get the back episodes of the show. And subscribe to New England Take on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social, all the uh, podcast platforms, and so you don't miss an episode. Excited to be joined today by Professor Michael McCann. He's a professor of law at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law, director of their Sports and Entertainment Law Institute. In addition, because he's not busy enough, he's also a uh, journalist over at Sportico, which covers sports business. And previously at the law school, he was one of our associate deans, so he's very well uh, aware of how the administration works at a law school. Welcome to the show. AJ, thanks for having me on, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. So, uh, full disclosure, I'm currently a full-time employee at the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law also, so I have my own bias in the situation, but uh, this is my own personal program. It's my own opinions. It's uh, Professor McCann's own opinions. Uh, so, U.S. News and World Report is where rankings for law... Any higher education institute basically in the country are, are centered around. Every, everyone pays into U.S. news for rankings across the board, whether it's um, all sorts of private institutions, whether it's college, professional schools. And law schools are one of the probably one of the bigger ins- collections of institutions that pays into it. And it looks like a bunch of schools have said enough and they are not happy with this u.s news is a uh, commercial organization that it has all sorts of we'll dive into the specifics of it but there's a lot of shadiness with how it works and institutions aren't happy with how it works but what was it like as someone that was a former associate dean current law professor and someone that just works in academia to hear that some of the top 10 law schools are saying no more Well, it was stunning, AJ, to hear that schools said no more. But also, it's a good feeling that there's some sense of response to what has been now a multi-decade long process where where law schools really chase U.S. News and World Report rankings. It's sort of the, the tail wagging the dog phenomenon, where because schools are so sensitive to those rankings, and also as you're preliminary comments indicated, those rankings really are the rankings. There are other rankings of law schools, but none of them have any meaningful traction. None of them seem to have much suasion on the decisions of of prospective law students. It's really U.S. News and World Report, despite attempts at competition, they, they sort of have a monopoly on this. And the influence that they have, and I can tell you personally, when I applied to law schools in 1999, long time ago, I was aware of the rankings. And although I don't think that they dictated where I went, they certainly dictated where I applied to. And that right there is significant in the sense that I applied to law schools that were in a certain ranking, uh, in part because I had been informed by U.S. News and World Report. Now, I had other ways of informing myself. I was fortunate to work for a state attorney general, uh, Tom Riley in Massachusetts, so I could talk to lawyers who were in that space. So that was helpful. I had other ways, and I had two older sisters who were lawyers. So all of that helps. But at the end of the day, these rankings have enormous influence on not only where people attend, but I think maybe even more significantly where they apply. So the idea that we're seeing top law schools, top ranked law schools, I should say, say enough is enough is very instructive because also, I don't know how there's going to be a meaningful ranking if if six of the top 10 schools 
aren't part of it you know it's sort of yeah, like saying I mean, ultimately right? it, this also had to start from them because if if the top 10 law schools don't drop out of it and say say that this this doesn't make sense for us to continue to do anymore none of the other schools can go in like like unh is been ranked in i think the 80s for the last several years now and if we said no we don't want to participate in this we're we're kind of it really looks bad upon us like why is it they dropped out why is it they don't want to participate in this and the fact it's um this is referring to abajournal.com covered this i'll put this in the podcast version of the show at nhtalkradio.com yale law school has been ranked number one since the inception of the rankings was first to make that announcement on november 16th i mean that's huge it is huge. And you're right. If another law school, we're an excellent law school, UNH, Franklin Pierce School of Law, we've, you know, to, to mention rankings, since we've mentioned, we're the only law school that's been in the top 10 for intellectual property since the rankings began more than 30 years ago. And, and we use that for marketing purposes because it's reflective of the strength of our program. But you're right that if a school not in the top 10 for general rankings said enough is enough, it, it wouldn't be a leader in that space we're not going to see others we would just sort of question why they're doing it for yale for harvard for other law school columbia other law schools in that space to say enough is enough it really sort of undermines the rankings at a uh, really entirely we, we we wouldn't say well you know these are the top 10 college football programs but we can't count alabama we can't count yeah. georgia it sort of discredits the whole process. So I, I agree with you, AJ, that it had to be the schools that are ranked at the top. And, and there's fundamentally a problem, in my opinion, and many of it. I'd say this is probably across the board problem. It's just no one wants to address the elephant in the room. Is how exactly the rankings are put together. Like, is it actually useful? when it comes to this is the best law school. It's kind of the, the tail wagging the dog here where is this important because employers see you went to a top 10 law school or is it because of the data that's actually coming from these reports? Like something that I don't think people realize is so much of the rankings are reliant on uh, just your popularity. It's like something like 50% or something like that are based on how deans at other schools and associate deans at other schools view you. And for the specialty rankings, it's a total crapshoot. Like it, like it goes out to a random selection of professors that are in the industry, some people that aren't in higher education necessarily. I believe some judges and such are part of some of the specialty rankings. So, so you're kind of just scattershotting marketing to all these people when it comes rankings time when those ballots are going out and i i mean it's do do you what's important to someone that's looking for a law school how how popular how popular it is within academia or how well it's going to do with getting a job or training you or your connections after graduation and things like that yeah so a lot of things to unpack there one is as you referenced the peer evaluation which is totally subjective which is based on whatever a professor thinks of another law school. And that has real meaningful. So one is that it's a questionable metric. As somebody, you know, as you know, AJ, I, I work sort of with analytics as part of my sports law work. It, it, it's, it's not reliable as a metric. It, it's very subjective. We, there isn't criteria that says, okay, you're judging them on X, Y, and Z. But the real, the real victim there would be the students because they then, their tuition dollars go to fund law school promotional material, right? That gets sent to all these law schools 
that's very expensive, that has glossy brochures, all of that stuff, using tuition dollars to sort of uh, convince really random faculty at other schools that we're good. I mean, think of, think of, is that a good use of money? Right. And, I, and you're right. I, I was, you mentioned earlier my experience. I was the associate dean. So I remember those sorts of decisions. It's that money could be used on other, other things. It could be used on scholarships to students in financial need. Right. And, other and scholarships th- on its own is problematic when it comes to rankings also because of how, how they consider uh, the amount of debt that students have when they leave the school is also considered in this and not exactly a productive way. Yeah, there are all sorts of spe- or expenditure per student. That's an important factor. So we look at expenditure per student. And on the surface, that might sound like, well, that's sensible. You want to spend money on students. The question then, the, the more interesting question, the more granular question becomes, what is it spent on? Right. Are, are we judging what that money is spent on? Is it being spent on furthering the legal training of the student? Is it being spent on helping the student get a job? Or is it just expenditure per student in ways that are not necessarily productive? So it rewards all sorts of behavior that doesn't necessarily help the student, doesn't necessarily help the school. And again, I, I think the idea of sort of the peer evaluations to me, are it's so subjective. And it really also there are a lot of people that don't know a lot about other schools. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing that uh, Malcolm Gladwell did a great job in his revisionist history podcast that actually Dean Carpenter suggested I check out today because I happened to run into her and told her I was going to be having this conversation with you. And and she suggests I check it out. And yeah, it didn't click with me. Like, oh, yeah, these deans and such that are submitting their ballots, they don't necessarily know anything about a law school in Alabama if there's someone from California or something like that. That's right. So they're not they're not accurate. They're based on hunches. And none of that is helpful information, particularly if it if it contributes to a ranking that has a big impact on where a student goes to school. None of that is money well spent. None of that is really helping the student make a decision about where to go or where to apply to. So it it leads to questions about the entire process. And I think that's what we're seeing now is schools opting out and hopefully it will lead to better choices for schools where if a student has has a you know, maybe a slightly lower LSAT but we look at the totality of the candidate and we think they'd be a good person we don't want the school to be dissuaded from accepting them because of fear of how that will affect median LSAT and you know of course schools have to be mindful of accepting students that are going to pass the bar that are going to get jobs. It's not as if none of that data matters, but the manner in which it comes up and the impact that it comes up, I think do deserve more scrutiny. Many on the political right the last few years have spoken out extensively against higher education is not properly training uh, individuals that go through their programs for the real world after graduation. The, the jokes is, is you go to a basket weaving uh, program at some uh, liberal school in the middle of nowhere, which was the joke of the college I went to. But <laughs> aside from that, the, the um, but generally speaking, that they're not getting students ready for it. And ultimately, I mean, this is also from the ABA Journal article. It reinforces the point that the the rankings hurt the college's ability to get people ready for the real world because it doesn't, especially at least with the law school side of things, it's not pushing them into the jobs that the U.S. News thinks 
people should go to, I guess, which is really confusing from the ABA Journal. U.S. News and World Report does not classify graduates and school-funded public interest fellowships as employed, harming employment numbers for schools that offer them. And going off of that, personally, with, with what UNH does with their hybrid program, these are people already in, in their field, and they may never work in the legal industry, but the, these are important graduates <laughs> once they're out because they represent the school in a positive light. They made it through a JD. They have the program, and but because they weren't first-year associates somewhere, like why does that look negatively on us if they're gainfully employed? Absolutely, and, and a lot of these metrics are based on antiquated assessments of how we judge law school graduates. When I was in law school, so I graduated in 2002, 20 years ago, we were really pushed to go to law firms out of law school. And that was sort of the script. You know, that was the script we were told. And, you know, it's fine. For a lot of people, it's fine. But as your question alludes to, there are all sorts of folks that may already in our hybrid program, for instance, as you referenced, they're already employed. And they're getting a law school degree maybe to advance their career within their own company or maybe to build a set of skills that they didn't previously had and it doesn't make sense to judge them on whether they're a first-year associate at a new york law firm making x hundred thousand dollars a year that that test is not really indicative and i think at our school we go against the grain we focus on ensuring that students have outcomes that meet what they want that don't necessarily meet a test that's used by others. And, and that really gets at the larger issue of why have a test to begin with, because everyone's different. You know, every, everyone leaves law school with a different set of priorities. Some would be well off going to a big law firm, others wouldn't. And why hold it against the school and implicitly the student, right? That they've sort of reached this outcome that isn't as favored because it doesn't meet the antiquated test, I don't think that's healthy either. I'm just sitting here crossing my fingers, hoping that U.S. News doesn't somehow drag the these top ten law schools back in. I mean, ultimately, this this is probably going to be a tremendous uh, pain point for U.S. News going forward. I mean, law schools have. I mean, ultimately, they have a lot of money when you, when you look at the grand scheme of, especially when you look at technical colleges and such as a comparison. And the amount of, like, you pay to access that data the U.S. News and World Report collects and to be able to utilize the information that they get from it. I, I mean, what's... What's U.S. News going to do next, do you think? It seems like they've been pretty quiet uh, on the reaction front of this. Yeah, I mean, one is that they could just continue the rankings as is, right? They could just continue to rank Yale and Harvard and, and schools like that at the top. And and because if they don't, I think it discredits the rankings, right? Yeah. If suddenly a school that has been ranked 13 or 14 is number one, and then a school that had been ranked one or two falls to 26, I don't think those are meaningful rankings. So for U.S. News World Report, I think they have to really replicate a pattern that has existed to date if they come up with some new set of outcomes that people look at and say that doesn't make sense based on what you've told us for 30 40 years so they're in a tough spot my my guess is that they continue to rank yale as one and harvard and stanford and all those schools right after it and probably hope that there's a that they can sort of engineer the normalcy in a way they sort of they kind of know where the out. They know they know the outcome that they need. They have have to find a way of getting there. Yeah, it, it seems like they got to actually like 
do journalism and look into the schools <laughs> and I don't know, figure out that, I mean, these, these guys used to be a weekly newspaper. That was their thing. And they completely altered their, what they do to be centered around rankings and such. They still do some articles and such. I don't know if I want to call it reporting or not. I'm not terribly familiar with, with what little they do in that side of the house, but their entire industry is based off of uh, rankings and, if, if I mean, it's to the point where I feel like a lot of people, if they're not terribly in the know, think they are basically like the the American Bar Association yep. and such, where they're accrediting accrediting institution. They're not. They're a commercial publication. Yeah, I mean, they have U.S. in the title, so it sort of sounds yeah. official, right? I mean, this is you know, these, these things can communicate uh, quite a bit, and they do seem official. They're certainly authoritative, and they they exist in a space where no other ranking despite there are other rankings but no one talks about them yeah. because they're seen as alternatives to u.s news world report i i hope we get to a world where there aren't rankings where people can just go to the school that's the best fit for them where they look at outcomes that matter look at bar passage rate mm -hmm. look at employment rate look at where people get jobs uh, meet other students at the school go visit the school these are the things that really matter and I feel like they've been lost because of the tail wagging the dog phenomenon where, you know, a, a 157 LSAT applicant is coveted or one with a 155 who may end up being a much better lawyer, a much better alum for the school is maybe put on the wait list. It's really a an odd system. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see because there is a certain level of consumer protection when it comes to LSAT scores, especially, which is the test you take to go to law school. Most schools require that or the GRE. So it'll be interesting to see the play and experimentation that uh, especially the, the not top 10 schools may begin to fiddle around with and, and see yeah. if there's other ways to judge how well a, a prospective student might actually do because ultimately bar passage rates are tremendously important if you make it through law school and you can't pass the bar i mean what's it say about the law school i wouldn't say it's very good necessarily especially if it's in the home jurisdiction yeah i mean so bar passage rate really matters employment rate matters yeah. these these are the if someone's going to spend all this money on law school in time they've got to get to the end of the game and win, right? And winning means passing the bar. Winning means having a job that you find rewarding. It doesn't necessarily have to pay what a New York City law firm pays. It, it may be less, but you may find it in rewarding for all sorts of reasons. So you're right. And schools have to continue to select candidates or applicants, I should say, that are likely to pass the bar. So though there's there will still be checks in place it isn't as if schools are going to let in everyone yeah. uh but i but i think we've become so uh devoted to rankings and to the inputs in those rankings like lsat score that maybe we're losing the forest for the trees yeah, hopefully it breeds some innovation. I mean, it'll be amazing to see and going forward. I mean, it, schools like UNH and tooting own horn for the school I work at, but like the hybrid program wouldn't have been able to be started that we have at the at UNH Franklin Pierce if we weren't in a, a much better financial situation than we were after recovering from the 08 downturn that was very bad for the, for the uh, industry as a whole. So, all right, we're, we're about out of time right here. Professor Michael McCann, uh, give the quick, 10-second elevator pitch for Sportico, for those that aren't familiar with it. Sportico is a sports business publication. It's the best sports business publication 
And within business, there are tons of legal issues. So uh, consider subscribing. Hope you do. And law.unh.edu, if you want to learn about UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law, where Professor Michael McCann is the director of the Sports and Entertainment Law Institute, law.unh.edu and sportico.com are the two URLs you should go check out. Thanks so much for joining me. You got it. Thanks, AJ. So the New England Take on WKXL, I'm your host, AJ Kirstead.